In this special episode of California Dreaming, I wanted to talk to you about a disturbing story that has recently hit the news out of Paris, California. And if you are not from California, you might not have ever heard of Paris, spelled P-E-R-R-I-S, a town in Riverside County, approximately 60 miles away from where I'm recording this. It's a story of the Turpins, David Turpin, 57, and Louise Turpin, 49, who were arrested Sunday, January 14th, after one of their children, a 17-year-old daughter, was able to escape from their home and contact authorities, telling them that she and her 12 brothers and sisters, who were still inside the home, were being held captive, restrained from leaving by being chained to furniture, locked with padlocks. It was shocking to hear a story like this, and oddly coincidental as, when the story broke, I was in the middle of wrapping up my two-part series on the Cleveland kidnappings. I was arriving at the end of that sordid tale only to have this splashed all over the media and social networking sites. Just when you thought you had seen the worst of the worst in the case out of Ohio, something like this happens that almost makes the Cleveland kidnapper seem like a lightweight. 13 kids, you guys, ranging in age from 2 to 29. The one who had escaped managed to climb through a window and dialed 911 with the cell phone she was able to find in the house. It was a deactivated phone, but luckily, even from a phone that is not activated, you are still able to call for emergency services. Thank goodness. The first responding officers who answered the call made contact with the 17-year-old, who appeared to them to be extremely malnourished and emaciated, and according to their reports looked to be no more than 10 years old. They first thought they were answering a call about 13 children being locked in the home, but they were shocked to find that seven of them were adults, ranging in age from 18 to 29. When they entered the home, they found the conditions inside to be terribly hazardous and uninhabitable. They described the home as very dark and foul-smelling, and everyone, all 12 of the hostages inside were filthy and malnourished, and officers witnessed some of them still chained with padlocks. They were immediately given food and drinks, and both Child Protective Services and Adult Protective Services were called in to assist with the intervention. The seven adults were taken to Corona Regional Medical Center, and the six minors were taken to Riverside University Hospital for assessment and treatment. The Turpins, who were home at the time police knocked on their door, were immediately taken into custody on charges of torture, abuse, child abuse, and false imprisonment. And when they were first questioned about the conditions their children were being held in, the couple really had no logical explanation, as if there is one. They are currently in custody, unable to make the $13 million bail, $1 million for each child and adult being held captive. And the details that are beginning to emerge are horrendous. The District Attorney of Riverside County, Mike Hestron, spoke to the media at a press conference on January 18th about the charges that had been filed earlier in the day against the Turpins. He began by going over the list of charges that were brought against the couple, along with the potential punishment if found guilty of those charges, but also indicated that the investigation is still ongoing, but they had enough to go ahead and move forward with some of the most serious charges against them. The charges could be amended later on if they were found to be more in their investigation. As of now, they are being charged with 12 counts of torture. He would later go on to explain that there did not seem to be any indication that the youngest of the children, a two-year-old, 
had been subjected to any kind of torture specifically, that the two-year-old did not appear to be malnourished or underfed. There is one charge against David Turpin of a lewd act upon a child by force, fear, or duress. He did not elaborate on which child he is being accused of committing this lewd act against, only that it was in regards to one of the children under the age of 14 and that there was something that he had done or a way that he had touched the child in a way that was inappropriate. There are seven charges of abuse of a dependent adult and six counts of child abuse and neglect, along with 12 counts of false imprisonment, and again, the two-year-old not included in that specific charge. According to the district attorney, the charges are dated back to 2010, all the way to the present, and not only took place in their home in Paris, but also in a previous residence in Murrieta, California. If the Turpins are convicted on all charges as they are currently filed, they could face the possibility of a sentence of 94 years to life imprisonment. The district attorney then went on to talk about why these charges have been brought about against the Turpins, reminding those watching and in attendance at this press conference that they are doing everything that they can to ensure the safety of the victims and to protect them from any more victimization. He stated that the family were basically nocturnal, meaning that they all slept during the day and are awake all night. The assumption is that the couple purposely kept this routine in order to hide the family, hide all the children, and to keep the secrets of what was going on inside that home from prying eyes. All 13 of the victims and the two defendants would typically go to sleep around 5 in the morning, sleep through the day until the nighttime. According to what the victims described, beginning many years ago as a form of punishment, they were tied up, first with ropes. One of the victims described having even been hogtied. But once one of them was able to free themselves from the ropes, the Turpins began using chains and padlocks in order to keep them restrained to their beds and other pieces of furniture. And these punishments would last for weeks, often months at a time. When police first arrived at the home responding to the 911 call, there were three victims still chained up, but the couple were able to unchain two of them before police actually gained entry into the home. While police were standing at the front door, an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old were being unchained, and once they were inside, they discovered a 22-year-old victim still chained to a bed. Based on evidence found in the home, it was apparent that the victims were not released from their locks and chains to be allowed to go to the bathroom. From that, it could be speculated that these 13 children and adults were left in extremely filthy conditions. The 17-year-old that escaped reported that she had been planning an escape with her siblings in order to try and free themselves of this abuse for approximately two years. She was able to escape through a window, and one of her siblings had actually gone with her but became frightened and turned back and went back into the house. The abuse began prior to the family having lived in California, back when they were living in Texas. While in Texas, it seems the parents did not live in the same residence as their children. What they would do was drop off food on occasion, but that was the extent of it. The abuse intensified as time passed, but it also intensified after they moved to California. After doctors had a chance to examine the victims, it was immediately determined that they were all extremely malnourished. More specifically, they suffered from severe caloric malnutrition associated with muscle wasting. And the district attorney gave a couple of examples. 
He stated that one of the children, who is 12 years old, is at the weight of an average 7-year-old, and the oldest, the 29-year-old female victim, weighs only 82 pounds or just over 37 kilograms. He said that some of the victims were cognitively impaired, and while others had neuropathy, which is nerve damage, as a result of what he described as extreme and prolonged physical abuse. None of the victims were allowed to shower more than once a year. In another report I heard twice, but obviously whether it was once or twice hardly matters, it was far too infrequent. He stated that this ties into the kinds of abuse these children were subjected to, which included frequent beatings and strangulation even. For things such as while washing their hands, they would be subjected to punishment if they ran the water too high up their wrists and onto their arms because that was considered playing in the water. This type of infraction would call for these extreme physical punishments as well as being chained up. None of the victims had seen a doctor in more than four years, and none of them have ever seen a dentist. When these victims were not chained up, they were locked in different rooms and fed very minimally and on a schedule. They were not allowed to have any toys. However, investigators did find many toys in the home, still unwrapped in their original packaging, suggesting that they taunted the children with these unwrapped toys, letting the children see them, but not play with them. The parents would also taunt the children with food. They would buy food for themselves, especially desserts and pastries like apple pies and pumpkin pies, and not allow the children to eat it, only look at it. They would set these items out on the table for them to see and smell, and none of them would be allowed a piece. The children were supposedly homeschooled, but they lacked even the most basic knowledge of things. They did not know what a police officer was, and when the 17-year-old who had escaped was asked if there was any medications in the home, she indicated that she did not know what medication was or what pills were. Just about the only thing the children were allowed to do while in their rooms or chained to the furniture was to write in journals. And there were hundreds and hundreds of journals that investigators are currently poring over, looking for some insight into what these children and adults were subjected to over the years. I am so curious as to what they're able to find written in the pages of those journals. The district attorney ended a statement by describing this case as a very complex one. They are handling it in a very sensitive manner as they are fully prepared to seek justice for these victims, but they are doing everything that they can to conduct the investigation and subsequent prosecution in a way that protects the victims. They have been severely hurt and do not want to cause them any further damage, and their cases are being handled by the county's Victim Services Division, who are going to provide the children and adults with all of the long-term care that they're going to need in dealing with the issues that are as a result of the abuse and neglect that they have suffered. The goal is to ensure that they are not re-victimized, as well as helping them on moving forward as they heal from these traumas. There are some questions as to whether or not investigators are sure that the youngest of the children are in fact biologically the children of the couple, as Louise Turpin is 49 years old, meaning that she would have had the youngest child around the age of 47, which isn't unheard of, however, it is rare. But the DA said that those were some of the things that they were going to be looking into, and it was too soon to speculate. Another question that came up is, why? Why do this? Why hold your children captive and in these conditions? 
The district attorney said that he would be speculating, but sometimes these cases, what it comes down to is human depravity. That this is a case of severe emotional and physical abuse, and that amounts to nothing less than depraved conduct. So who are these people, the Turpins? Well, they are originally from a small town in West Virginia called Princeton. Louise Turpin's sister has spoken out since the news broke, and she discussed incidents of ongoing sexual abuse in their childhood and feels that that may have played a role in what Louise ended up doing to her own children. David Turpin grew up just a few miles away, and according to a senior high school yearbook, his interests included the Bible, chess, and science. He was described as kind of nerdy and quiet. Their parents knew each other and attended the same church, and that's how they met. They started dating when he was 22 and she was 15, and within a year, they ran away from home from their families so they could be together and get married. Louise's mom did not approve of this relationship and she wanted to press charges, but it seems her father wanted her to just be married before having sex. And so the couple were married in 1985. Louise Turpin's sister had said that she told her that she wanted to leave the family behind because of the past abuse. She needed to leave it and walk away. So they lived in Fort Worth until 1999, then in Rio Vista, Texas from 1999 to 2010. They then moved to Murrieta, California sometime in 2010 when their Texas home was foreclosed upon. And then they moved to Paris in 2014. When questioned about their former tenants, the owners of the Fort Worth home said the home was left so filthy that they had believed the Turpins had been hoarding animals while they were living there. Little did they know that it was because they were allowing their children to live in such deplorable conditions. A former neighbor of theirs, while they lived in Rio Vista, also described them as hoarders, based on his own observations of the family while they lived next door to him. It was also reported that the children were never allowed to go outside to play, and they were supposedly being homeschooled, and were never allowed to leave the confines of the house. According to California state records, David Turpin had the residence in Paris registered as a private school named Sandcastle Day School. Another neighbor stated that the Turpins kept to themselves and the children were rarely seen. They kind of speculated that the home was some sort of religious compound and that the children were demanded to not reveal their names to anyone. Some of the neighbors had no idea the couple had any children at all. And then one day, they were just gone. So why is this happening? According to authorities, it's been speculated that it has been under the guise of religion, that God had called upon them to have so many children, and that their children were forced to memorize impossibly long verses of the Bible, and this was the supposed homeschool setting. Some of the family members who have spoken out have stated that they were kept away from the home, and that the children's grandparents have said that they hadn't seen the couple or their grandchildren in nearly five years, along with the children's aunts who had not seen them for almost 19 years. The couple, they had this strange obsession with Elvis. They had their marriage vows renewed three times at the same chapel in Las Vegas with the same Elvis impersonator. Pictures and videos of these ceremonies have been posted on Facebook and on social media with their children flanking them, all dressed alike. Also on their Facebook page, they have pictures of many trips to Disneyland, as it was hands down the family's favorite vacation destination, as they had annual passes every single year. 
Can you imagine how much that costs? It's like $100 to get into Disneyland for one person for one day. Annual passes for 15 people? How is this happening? Well, apparently Mr. Turpin had a pretty good job, earning approximately $140,000 a year as an engineer. However, it's also been revealed that the couple were deeply in debt, to the tune of nearly $500,000. According to another report, all of this may have been an attempt at reality show fame, a show perhaps that showcased their large family. If you've seen the pictures that I'm talking about that have been taken from their Facebook profile, they're often wearing matching outfits, looking quite happy together as they take trips and vacations. According to Louise Turpin's brother, she was obsessed with shows like Kate Plus 8, and she had even gone so far to give the children's names that started with the letter J, similar to what the family had done on 19 Kids and Counting. Louise wanted the perfect reality show family, and a part of that aspiration involved the move to California to be closer to Hollywood. If this is all true, then this kind of makes sense. She didn't care about her kids. She was popping them out to make a name for herself. And have you guys seen her mugshot? She's actually smiling in it. I think she thinks this means that she's made it, like to the big time. Weird, huh? So, the couple appeared in court on Thursday, January 18th, appearing stoic and quite disheveled. They have both pleaded not guilty to the array of charges against them. Bail was set very high, as there were so many charges being levied against them, they could potentially spend the rest of their life in prison. The next court date is February 23rd. This is a case that I am going to be following very closely, as it seems much of the nation, possibly the world, might be too. And as the story progresses, I'll make sure to bring you updates, either here on the show or on social media. My heart really hurts for these 13 children and young people who have been subjected to such horrible conditions. But just like the case I had discussed in the last two weeks with Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Gina DeJesus, I know that the community will come together with an outpouring of love and provide support for these children as they transition into their new lives now. They're no longer being held captive by their parents and they're gonna need all the help they can get. Donations are pouring in, money, clothing, as well as dental services. These are the best and brightest parts of stories like this. Thank you for joining me for this special episode. It is my first current event, and I hadn't really considered touching on breaking news like this, but the story is too big to not tell. And until next time, sweet dreams. <laughs>